Let us pray. Everlasting God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations upon all of our hearts serve to glorify you. And may they be in keeping with the teachings of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. There are a lot of things, let's face it, that we'd rather not be immortalized on film. Maybe it was that wild office party back in 1986, or some stupid prank that you pulled in college. Maybe it was the time you backed your shopping cart into a display of perilously stacked wine bottles at Mariano's, watched them crash to the floor in a spectacular display of crimson that threatened to flood the entire cheese department before shamefully fleeing the scene. Yes, I know that example is a bit too specific to be hypothetical. In my defense, I did offer to help clean it up, but I was ushered away by employees who decided that I'd caused enough trouble already. But of all the embarrassing things that a person would not want caught on video, a child's baptism is not one of them. I mean, this is a beautiful and holy sacrament, a celebrated rite of passage for Christians. Not so for Father Matthew Hood, the associate pastor of a Catholic church in the Archdiocese of Detroit. It's not that he botched a baptism or anything like that. No, it was his own baptism that was the trouble. You see, Father Hood was watching some old home movies last summer, including his own baptism as an infant. But what should have been a pleasant bit of nostalgia soon engulfed the priest in shame and terror. As the clergyman in the video baptizes young Matthew Hood, marking his infant forehead with the sign of the cross and holy water, he utters the traditional liturgy. We baptize you in the name of the Father, and in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Wait a minute, Hood thought to himself, turning the phrase around in his mind. We baptize you. We baptize you. We baptize you in the name of the Father. We baptize you. That's not right, Hood realized, rewinding the tape and watching it again with a pit in his stomach. The priest was supposed to say, I baptize you, not we baptize you. The implications of this liturgical error were unthinkable. Fearing for the integrity of the sacrament, Hood notified his superiors who confirmed his worst fears. Father Matthew Hood's baptism was invalid. That meant that he wasn't even a baptized Christian, much less an ordained priest. And worse still, all of the baptisms that he'd conducted since his ordination were also illegitimate, bogus, null and void. Now, fatherhood has since been properly baptized and ordained, but the archdiocese is still conducting a sort of factory recall, if you will, trying to track down everyone that Hood had ever baptized and asking them to come back for a do-over. Can you imagine having to make that phone call? Now, this might seem like a bit much to us congregationalists. We aren't typically as steeped in dogma and doctrine, and our theology of baptism differs significantly from Catholic theology, which I'll get into in just a bit. 
But in order to comprehend the gravity of this sacramental crisis, you have to understand where the archdiocese is coming from. Father Stephen Pullis, spokesperson for the Archdiocese of Detroit, explains their position. When someone is baptized, it's not just a symbol or recognition of something that's already happened, he says. It's actually making a change in the person. Because the sacraments actually bring about an effect, we have to be very precise in both the words, the form, and the matter, the objects that we use. That means we have to do it in the way the church tells us to do it. Fair enough, and to each their own. But Pullis' explanation begs a question. What about John the Baptist? Was he using precise words, a prescribed liturgy, when he baptized Jesus? He certainly wasn't using anything sanctioned by the church since the church didn't exist yet. Does that mean that Jesus' baptism was illegitimate too? It seems unlikely, all things considered, that John the Baptist did it wrong. God certainly seemed to be satisfied with the proceedings, even if it wasn't up to the standards of the Archdiocese of Detroit. Now, I'm not trying to be snarky or disrespectful of anyone's beliefs, but I think our understanding of baptism has ramifications beyond the sacrament itself. Baptism really defines who we are. Jesus did not become the Messiah when he was baptized. He did not become God in human flesh. He did not become anything, but I think he began in that moment to discover who he already was. I've always been fascinated by the question of what Jesus knew and when. That is, when did he recognize his own divinity? Was Jesus born with this knowledge or did it dawn on him slowly over time? For my part, I'm inclined to think that Jesus discovered his own nature gradually, much like we all do. Jesus was also human, after all, and that's the human experience. That's why I personally prefer the Gospel of Mark to the Gospel of John, where Jesus acts as though he's already got everything figured out. In Mark, he seems to be coming to terms with his own identity as the story unfolds in real time, and he struggles with doubts about who he is. My son, Levi, wrote a song recently that he likes to sing around the house. It goes, I'm dope, I'm cool, I know who I am, but I'm living with this fear that I don't know who I am. That's the whole song. Pretty existential stuff for a five-year-old. And oddly enough, on a more serious note, I think it also describes our nation at this moment in time. Living in fear, we don't know who we are. Is this, we ask ourselves while we watch the news, America? Is this us? Is this who we really are? This national identity crisis that has been brewing for a very long time came to a head this week 
as protesters stormed the Capitol building in Washington, breaking into the chambers of Congress to protest an election that they believe was stolen from them. It was a dark day for our country, one that has already claimed a life. As I record this sermon on Wednesday evening, I'm still not up to speed with what has transpired since, because it hasn't happened yet. But it all nonetheless leaves me feeling deeply troubled and unspeakably sad. We are living in two different realities, we Americans, at completely opposite poles. We call ourselves patriots and accuse each other of treason. Some resort to violence. It's also absurd and surreal. Images have surfaced from this week, like the protester who was nonchalantly playing games on his phone while seated at the vice president's dais in the Senate chambers moments after it was evacuated. And don't even get me started on the shirtless dude who was strolling through the halls of the Capitol building wearing a horned helmet and animal furs, looking like he just walked off the set of Braveheart. As a nation, is this us? Is it them? Is this who we really are? I don't know. Mark's Jesus is unsure of himself too, I think. He's on a journey of discovery, one that takes him to some very dark places before it ends. And so it is for each of us in our lives, so it is for our country. In doubt and in strife, we discover what we're really made of, we discover who we really are. And friends, we may not always like the answer. But whatever else we might be, cliche as it sounds, we are all God's beloved children. Yeah, even the dude with the horns and the animal furs, even the guy who incited the riots, which really were a bridge too far, to put it nicely. I don't know what else I can tell you. I've got plenty of opinions about politics, but my job, my call, is to preach the gospel, and that's what the gospel tells us, whether we like it or not. That's what Jesus asks us to believe. As Americans, we may want to hate each other, but as Christians, that's not who we are. It's not who we are. When we baptize a child, yes, we, I think, not I, because it's something we do in community. When we baptize a child, we name them beloved. And whoever they might grow up to be, whatever they might come to believe or do, that doesn't change. The flower is already in the bulb. The tree is already in the seed. Or as the revered mystic Thich Nhat Hanh once said, a wave need not die to become water. It is already water. And we are already God's beloved. 
each and every one, blessed by the waters of baptism. Yes, according to some theologians, baptism enacts an ontological shift in the one being blessed. In that moment, they are literally transformed. It's actually making a change in the person, Father Pullis explained earlier. When someone is baptized, it's not just a symbol or a recognition of something that's already happened, he says. And yet, in our tradition, that's exactly how baptism is understood and defined. It's a ritual naming of something that has already happened, something that already is, namely God's grace, salvation, and unconditional love for us. It's a celebration of who you already are, a beloved child of God, and so is everyone else. Amen.